Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This message is from one of our partners in NCMI, New Covenant Ministries International. For more messages like this, please see our website, www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this apostolic input into the life of Venture Church. Wonderful. Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, it is a great privilege and honor to be here and uh, to recognize so many faces that I've got to know over the last few years. I missed you last year. I really, it's uh, starting the time. Otherwise, I'm going to get excited, carried away, and next thing, just... But it is so good to be back and uh, just loved worshiping with you this morning. Thanks, Muso team. You guys did an amazing job leading us. Love it. Well done. And uh, so encouraged to hear the prophetic words, and I'm going to climb off the back of one of those prophetic words in a moment, just uh, confirming, I believe, something of what God wants to, uh, wants to say this morning. But I also want to bring you lots of love from, uh, from Richard's by. You know, I love the kingdom of God. I love it. And exactly what you say is true. Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem. He came from Bethlehem. Tiny little town, what good can come? And you know what God can use? The insignificant, the small, the overlooked, God can use it. So if you ever feel like a Bethlehem and not a Jerusalem, I've got good news for you. Jesus came from Bethlehem. You might feel the underskilled, underdeveloped, under disadvantaged, whatever it is, and God chooses that because it shows forth his glory. So nothing can disqualify us from God's amazing love and His incredible grace. So I want to send lots of love to you from uh, our church in, uh, in Richards Bay. We've had a, an amazing week, apparently. I wasn't there, but uh, we had a <laughs> I've been hearing reports. A great team, uh, about 20 or so folk from the church, teamed up with Kia Taylor. Some of you will know him. And uh, Zululand was really part of his stomping ground years back in terms of outreach around that Zululand area. And they were doing uh, some off the back of the bucky evangelism into some of the rural areas there and doing pastors training. And this morning, I think they went to about five different churches and then they have a celebration tonight back at our base. So uh, super exciting to see what God is doing in different parts of, uh, of the nation. I do want to spring a greeting from Tyron as well. Tyron and Nicole, Julie, the team, they are across in Denver, Colorado, where they live. And uh, he asks us everywhere we go to say two things. Number one, remember, you're not alone. Sometimes, especially through COVID and lockdown, we can feel like one little church struggling, carrying on. And the reality is we are part of something so much greater. God is building up a partnership of churches right around the world. And God is using us and he's using you to help bring the kingdom of God here to earth. And so uh, keep on keeping on. And secondly, he asks us always to send lots of love from him and Nicole. Just uh, they pray for us, pray for all the churches. They do an amazing job. And uh, so that's from them. Now, I want to get into what I want to share this morning. Don't know how we're going to get through it, but I'm going to give it my best shot. So, Father, we need your help once again. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father. When, when uh, Jesus said to Peter, this is not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Father, I pray that you would come and reveal yourself, reveal your word. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are the great teacher, the, the one who leads us into all truth. You're the one who makes the penny drop and the lights come on and the revelation moments. And I pray for that this morning, that you would take a simple word and you would use it and fashion and shape us. I pray that you would speak to every single one of us, no matter where we are in our journey. Would you come and speak to us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
I came up to Joburg. I moved up to Joburg from, uh, from Durban where I had just finished university about 25, 26 years ago or something. And uh, I remember, I mean, I grew up in KZN and... Uh, and so it was quite an intimidating thing coming to live in Johannesburg. I, I was in the Kempton Park and then the Midrand area because I worked at ACR, Mordefontein. Some of you might remember. I don't even know if the factory is still there. The, the fertilizer and dynamite factory, that's where I worked. I had uh, my freshly printed engineering degree in my hand and I had an office right in the middle of the smog, right? And, then, uh, and I was a systems engineer. And I remember arriving intimidated, your first job ever, new city, new everything. And I just realized I was fully qualified and completely clueless. That's just how it was. That's how it was. Uh, in fact, I remember eating humble pie and, uh, and going to some of the technicians. Now, normally there's this hierarchical system in these kind of engineering organizations where the engineers call the shots and the technicians have to do the bidding for the engineer, not this time. I remember going to them and saying, guys, don't tell anyone, but I'm clueless. I'm supposed to measure the temperature of this thing to control it. And I know the formula, but I don't know how even to measure. I didn't even know what the thing looks like to measure the temperature on this. And I remember how these technicians, I think they took pity on me. And uh, some of those old technicians, they sort of took me under their wing and began to guide me through the process. I, I remember finding one of the engineers there who was a little bit gracious and and he kind of mentored me. He took me under his wing for a year or so, taking me through the projects he was working in to try and turn the qualification. I was qualified, but clueless. And trying to turn your qualification into your experience. And to get from your qualification to some experience that was actually helpful, I needed a bunch of people to take me under their wing. My title this morning is Who's Under Your Wing? This little saying, I heard it the other day. In fact, it was a bit of a joke. I was in Klerksdorp and uh, there's this lovely young guy in Klerksdorp. He's, uh, he's just come onto their leadership team. He leads the, the youth and he's like 22, 23. He's just got married, brand new baby. He's got eight months of leadership experience. And into Klerksdorp came one of the veterans of the NCMR kind of deal, Malcolm Black. He's heading up the, the theological college there now. He's got about 107 years of experience in ministry. He's got about 25 theological degrees, been there, done that at least two or three times. And, and so young Thomas pops up apparently at one of their leaders meeting. Not a problem, everyone. I'll take Malcolm under my wing and mentor him for a while. But being a communicator, I, I sometimes like looking into idioms and sayings. To I, I like to find the root. Where do things come from? And I mean, where does a saying to take someone under your wing? I mean, where, where does that come from? And to be honest, I was rebuked when I asked Wikipedia because Wikipedia preached to me and said it's in the Bible. <laughs> Ouch, thanks for that, Wikipedia. And I suddenly realized, in fact, it's not just in the Bible, it's been uh, the COVID champion chapter for the last year and a half. Psalm 91 it says in verse number four of God, he will cover you with his feathers. He'll shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. And here's the thing, our God is the God who takes us under his wings. We serve the God who takes us under his wings until we're ready to fly. Now, if our God is the God who takes us under his wings, my question to you, sons and daughters of the living God, is who's under your wing? Because as we mature and as we grow in Christ, we should begin to reflect our Father more and more and more. 
And the revelation I want you to grab hold of today is our God is the God who's taken us under his wings. And so the natural question should be, who's under ours? So uh, I remember being in Durban while I was at university. I was new to the faith. I got saved when I was 17 years old, the end of my grade 11. And, and so after my trick, I went down to, uh, to Durban and there's a beautiful church, Glenridge. It was a, a powerhouse church. It still is, in fact. It was such a beautiful time as a young, uh, passionate for Jesus. And I remember being part of this church and I met one of the, one of the elders in the church. He's, I mean, many of them were my heroes, kind of a young man. And, and he was one of the, the elders in the church and he was going out on trips to Africa and then he planted a church here and then. And I mean, he was ministering powerfully and he was on his apostolic team and it's like, yeah. And, and I mean, subsequently gone on and, and has led great churches. And, and I remember years go by now, I'm leading a church in Richards Bay, and, and as I'm, I'm chatting with some folk in the church, somehow this guy's name comes up. And we've got this old bullet in our church, Uncle Graham. Uncle Graham, I, honestly, I, he is about 85 or 90 or so. He never ages, but he's always strong and he's always there. You shake his hand and you know your hand has been shaken. It's like absolutely rock solid. But dear Uncle Graham, it's kind of been through some rough years. Marriage didn't work out well. Some of the things with his kids haven't worked out well. In some ways, he's, he's kind of felt he's disqualified himself from really counting for Jesus. And, and so dear Uncle Graham, super faithful in church every Sunday, but quiet. He's an introvert. He's, he's a quiet guy, works with his hands. But somehow he was in this conversation and this particular guy that I'd hero, I mean, he was one of my heroes. And as his name come up, dear Uncle Graham said, oh yeah, I remember him. I, I discipled him. And I'm like, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I mean, do you know who this guy is? And, and I'm like, really? Long story short, a couple of months later, I'm in uh, Johannesburg and we're having an international apostolic team meeting. All the big wigs are in town. And I go up to this particular guy that had been my hero. And I, and I said, um, uh, do you by any vague, small, tiny, weeny little chance possibly ever heard of this name, Uncle Graham Lawrence? And I remember he looked at me and he said, Brent, I'm here today because of that man. That man, that man, when I, when I was down and out, sort of surfer boy on drugs, going nowhere, he picked me up, he took me under his wing, and he discipled me. All that I'm walking in now is because of that man. I was like, just, and I came back and I called him Sir Uncle Graham Lawrence. And, and it was beautiful because I could tell him the story, and do you realize what you did? And subsequently, something came alive in once again, and he's like a bulldog. I can just point him at the newbies and say, come on, will you take him under your wing? Will you take this guy under your wing? And he would just walk a journey of discipleship. I want to ask you today, who's under your wing? We serve a God who takes us under his wing, and the greatest thing that we could do is develop a culture and a lifestyle where there's always someone under our wings as well. So... Remember the well-known scripture? I want to just pull out a few thoughts from it today. Matthew 28, remember that one? In uh, verse number 18 to 20, Jesus came and told his disciples. Does it say disciples? Let's see. Who was he talking to now? Apostles or disciples? It specifically says disciples. And so it would have been, the majority would have been his apostles. But very deliberately, the Bible doesn't say apostles. Because if it did, you would sit there today and say, not me. But it doesn't. It says disciples. So who's a disciple of Jesus here? 
okay? The rest of you, I'm going to preach a salvation message, and I'm hoping that you guys are going to get saved and become disciples of Jesus today. Here's the truth. To be a follower of Jesus is to be a disciple of Jesus. When Jesus is formed in us, as when we receive Christ, Christ comes into us, and like me, I was qualified, but was clueless. And then as we begin to follow Jesus, we molded and shaped into more and more of the expression of Jesus. But I want you to grasp this, because let me tell you, something inside of you, throughout what I say today, is going to say, hey, that's not for me. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, Jesus wasn't saying apostles, he was saying disciples, and here's what he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, which is huge, because he's about to say something big. And once again, you're going to have excuses. Yeah, but I can't. I'm, I'm afraid. I can't do this. I'm not qualified. That's why before Jesus gives the commission, he gave them the reason why they can do it. And the reason we can do it, the reason that we could take someone under our wing is because Jesus has authority, not us. He has authority over every excuse, every obstacle, everything that stands between us and making disciples of all nations, Jesus has authority over that. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, we've got a Greek scholar here in the front row, so you'll probably correct me, but as far as I understand, and, and this had been my understanding, what we see here, go and make, that sounds like an event. In other words, team, go on an outreach to the Makatini Flats, where our team had been now. Or Brent, jump on an airplane and fly to Pakistan. Go and make disciples. But as far as I understand, this word go means a little bit more like as you go. Or in you going. It's kind of that continuous thing. It's not an event. It's a lifestyle. It's just part of your, as you go, in your going, while you're going, everywhere you go, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I think that is way more, just as an aside, I don't think that's just dunk them in the water, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I think that means, that person who's under your wing, what they really need is to be immersed, because that's what baptism means, to be immersed in the name. Name is not just Brent or, or Francis. Name represents the character, the attributes, the nature, the identity. Go and immerse them and who their father is. Go and immerse them in who Jesus is. And go and immerse them in who the Holy Spirit is. And then go and show them, not just teach, but show them how to obey, how to live out all that I've commanded, which is love one another. Go and show them how to do this lifestyle. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age couple of issues. First one, and I wanted to, uh, I wanted to talk about our church, not your church, because I'm not trying to change the way you do things in this church, but I want to give you an example of how God is challenging us with some of these things. Because sometimes we as leaders can be guilty of proclaiming one thing and then practicing something else. Here's an example. For the last 20 years, I've had the privilege, my wife and I, of, of leading Outlook Church. And over that time, having the privilege of baptizing a couple of hundred people, which has been amazing. What I realized, though, is I've baptized at least 95% of them. And I suddenly realized, hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm busy proclaiming to the church, this commission is for you. 
go out and make disciples and baptize them, but I baptize them. So which is it? Is the great commission to go and make disciples and baptize them for the people or is it for the pastor? Because if I'm saying one thing and doing something else, then no wonder people are like, yeah, whatever. And I just realized over the last while, there's a double joy. We've been having only experiencing half the joy of baptism. We have been celebrating a new life when we could have been celebrating a new life and a disciple making a disciple victory as well. And so from now on, new rule. You bring them to Christ. You start, if it's they under your wing, then you're in the water with them. Because now we're not just celebrating a new life, we're just celebrating a discipler in action. Part of, we, we, I love connect groups. I love what you guys are sharing and I'm, I'm super stoked to see what God is doing. The problem that I realize for us is we've subtly been sharing with the church, connect groups are the key method of making disciples in this church. So if you want to be a disciple, join a connect group, and it's led by a connect group leader, who in our church happens to be a deacon. So if you want to make disciples, you have to be a deacon. Yikes. That's not scriptural either. We've got to break that. I love having connect groups. We've got a fellowship and accountability and growing community. But subtly, we've got to be careful. Discipleship's not for deacons. It's for disciples. A couple of things that we've had to wrestle through. So first thing for us, We've got to break this excuse, who's included, who's excluded. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to have someone under your wing. But here's another thing. I remember when Kate and I, my wife, we've been married about 25 years or something now, and uh, I have to be honest, ladies, my wife is not very maternal at all. But we knew we wanted to have kids, but ideally, they'd come out at about age two or something, so you didn't even have to do all that baby stuff right in the beginning. So I remember Kate and I, we got married fairly young, so we, uh, we're sitting down, and it's like, let's wait five years at least before we have kids. And when we're young enough, let's just kind of enjoy some life before we have kids. And, and five years came, five years went, we were on an eldership, we were serving God full-time now, it was amazing. We went down to Richards Bay, we planted the church, five years are up, we look at each other, it's like... Maybe let's wait one more year. <laughs> so we waited another year. But now the church is planted. We one year into the church plant. We've got all these heisbesuk and meetings and, and trips and travel. And what's the point? There's never really an ideal and convenient time to have kids. I mean, let's be honest. There's just not. And you can keep delaying and trying to find that time until you realize, oh, cook, we've missed out on one of the greatest joys ever. Now, so we had kids. And uh, we had to train him to sleep in loud home groups and noisy meetings. Then we came on to Dudley Daniel. He was still leading the team. And we came on to this thing called the apostolic team. And by the way, you've got to be at a, an international team meeting, normally in Australia or here every single year. I've got to tell you, I have been vomited on, on every mode of transport. If you can think about it, definitely cars many times, planes definitely, ships, yes, trains 100%, you name it, I have been vomited on by kids transporting them to some church meeting or another. The bottom line is to make disciples is really like having kids. It really is. There's no ideal convenient time. You've got a busy life, busy schedule. I get that. Same with kids. And it's going to be messy and it's going to be uncomfortable. But now I've got an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old at home. And what a joy, what an absolute, there, right there, the greatest achievement in life. 
We can hide behind excuses. We can justify excuses. There is no inconvenient time. But who is it that's under your wing right now? A couple of excuses that we often come up with. Firstly, I'm not trained. Now let me ask you parents, how many of you felt really trained to have kids when you had kids? Oh, come on, you can do the classes and you can feel ready and then the, literally the poo hits the fan and you realize, yo, I don't know what I'm doing. But the beauty is, the best way to learn is as you do it. You can do class after class and you still won't be ready. You just gotta do it and you realize and then your confidence begins to grow and you realize, actually, we can do this thing. Sometimes we say, well, we're just too busy. And, and you know what? You can be too busy to have kids and you're pursuing your career and that's awesome, that's amazing. Just don't one day get to the point when you realize we left it too late and now we don't have one of the greatest joys that God wanted for our lives. Mm. Busyness can rob us. Remember, that was Pharaoh's strategy. Keep the Israelites when they were in Egypt. Keep them busy, keep them busy, keep them busy so they will not give attention to worshiping this God. Don't let busyness squeeze out of you some of the greatest blessings. You might be too afraid. I mean, let's be honest. What if it goes pear-shaped? What if they don't like me? What if I fail? What if it doesn't work out? What if I get a Judas instead of a Peter or a John? Jesus was anticipating that exact thing. And because he anticipated, he said, be sure of this. What did we have to be sure of? Remember, you just read it. We read it in verse number, was it verse 20? I think it was verse 20. Be sure of what? What do we have to be sure of? If we're gonna become disciples, if we're gonna have someone under our wing, we have to be sure of this. I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's what you've gotta be sure of. I mean, if I asked you, okay, I want, I want you to take someone under your wing, you're like, hey, I'm not ready. I, t I tell you what, okay, the pastor's gonna do it with you. Oh, okay, then we can do it. As, as, as long as he's there, I can do it. What Jesus is saying, I am with you always. You might feel alone at times. You might feel intimidated. That's normal. Jesus said, you're not on your own. I promise you, I'm going to do it with you, which means it's going to turn out way different to the way your worry and anxiety and stress predicts. Sometimes you, you think, okay, I, I'd love to do that, having a clue how to start. You know what the Bible reveals? The Bible reveals that intentional friendship leads to fruitfulness. Let me say that again. Intentional friendship leads to fruitfulness. Fruitfulness in the kingdom of God is not about how hard you work. It's about, put it this way, when Adam and Eve knew each other, they had a baby. Okay, it was out of the relationship that fruitfulness flowed. Jesus said it like this, remain in me, I'll remain in you, and you'll bear much fruit. It was out of this relationship that fruitfulness flows. The best people to take under your wing is not some random stranger. It's probably someone at an acquaintance level right now. It might be the newbie at church, those people who've just shown an interest. Kind of they're on the fringe of your circle right now with intentional friendship. Taking them under your wing could be a life changer for them and for you. When I was a uh, when I gave my life to Jesus, 19th of August, 1989, I was 17 years old, back of the little Baptist church and how I put up my hand and, and walked to the front and, and surrendered my heart to Jesus. But the amazing thing is I was at Howick High School at the time and uh, there was this guy in Howick High. I didn't really know him because he was a grade ahead of me, 
But I mean, I got saved at the end of the year. The next year, I don't even understand. I still don't understand because this guy got academic honors but chose to repeat a year. I mean, go figure. That doesn't make sense, you know. But he did. For some reason, he repeated a year, which meant he was now in my class. And he was a strong Christian. He came from a great Christian family. His parents were elders in the local church. And he took me under his wing. I didn't even know it at the time. He just chose to intentionally build friendship with me. He knew I'd given my life to Jesus, and he just built a friendship with me. How's it going? What are you learning? Got some questions. He would say, well, I don't know how to answer that question, but my dad and my mom, they, they elders in the church. Let's go and ask them. And he would take me, and I would sit with his dad. My parents weren't believers at the time, so I'd begin to ask his dad the kind of questions like, what do I do here? I didn't even know there were such things as Christian books. I knew there was a Bible, but, but he said, no, no, we've got all kinds of books, resources. Then he, he took me to his church. He took me to youth, not just Friday, but Saturday as well. We were radical. And through all of this, without even knowing it, he'd taken me under his wing, and now I've got the privilege of walking in the call of God because of intentional friendship. Who is under your wing? A disciple is a, a follower of Jesus, someone who's being great commissioned. But this would be, call it the holy grail of church culture. If we in our minds could, could develop not just what it means to be a disciple. But if you could put the R at the end of disciple, then you become a discipler. One is a noun, the other is a verb. A disciple, that's, yep, that's what we are. But if we could learn to be disciplers, that's what it would take to reach the nations for Jesus. I'm gonna share a couple of things with you. And uh, well, let me share them with you now. Why is this so crucial? This is not, I don't believe, an optional extra. I believe with all of my heart, this is what the church of the future is gonna look like. This is gonna be when normal Christian culture makes this adjustment. Most Christians, if they love Jesus and they've been following Jesus for a while, there's a couple of patterns or habits in their lives that you would just consider normal. It's good to have a quiet time, read the Bible as often as you can. It's good to pray. It's good to go to church. It's good to give some money. And imagine if, and it's good to be a discipler. That's got to become just as normal. The normal thing, if, you, if you've been a believer for a while, it's good to now take someone under your wing. I mean, we celebrated, where's Lauren this morning? We're celebrating Lauren launching a new connect group. Why? Because, where's that? Mark and Simone took, took her under their wing, and now she's ready to fly. That's what we are said. That's what should be absolutely normal. So I did a little calculation. Why is this so crucial? We celebrated our church 20th birthday in February this year. And uh, yeah, thank you, Jesus. And uh, you know what? After COVID, I haven't a clue how many people come to our church anymore. I don't know. It was anyway. But I mean, it's, it's, it's just be super generous. There was about eight, nine under us. Let's round it up to be super generous. And let's say after 20 years, the church was looking at about a thousand people on our books. I don't know where they're all on now, but let's just say. So then I thought to myself, okay, what if, what if my wife and I we planted a secret church at the same time. So we launched the, North, the Outlook Church, but we had a COVID undercover secret church. And in this secret church, all we did, we took one person under our wing for one year every year, lifestyle. So we just started, the two of us, first year, I found someone, she found someone, whole year we just discipled them to make them disciplers. 
And so the next year, I mean, after one year, yoo-hoo, rapid church growth, there's four of us, my wife and I and two others. By the year afterward, there's like eight, three years of intense ministry, we 16, four years of radical, we like 32. How many after 20 years? If we had the two 20th birthdays, Outlook Church and the Secret Undercover Church, guess how many would come to the Secret Undercover Church? 2,097,152. See, this is the only way we can prepare for the return of Jesus. Crowd-building churches are brilliant. Jesus ministered to the crowd, and it was great. People came for healing, but he invested. He took a bunch, 12 guys. He brought them under his wing for three years, and that's why we're here today. Not because of that crowd. That same crowd who was saying, Hosanna in the highest, the king is coming, two days later was saying, crucify him. Jesus ministered to crowds, and crowds are amazing. Let's preach the gospel. Let's heal the sick. Let's bring people to Christ. But actually, let's make sure we've got people under our wing because it's the people under our wing that multiply. This is good because it adds, but under your wing is where multiplication begins to happen. We do it because the numbers are amazing. We do it because it's the commission and command of Jesus. We do it because Jesus modeled it. We do it because, I remember sitting in an airport, I think it was in Bogota, one of those long layovers. We were in South America, and, and it was probably a six, seven-hour wait for the next flight. And, and the airport there, it's got beautiful lounges. So we're sitting in the departure lounge, but just between you and where you get onto the plane, there's this corridor, glass. That's where all the passengers getting on or off, always walking up and down. So you're kind of just sitting there, killing time, watching people. This is what I discovered. Every now and again, often, you, you'd see a pilot walk past, but never alone. Never alone. It was always the captain and co-pilot, always together, walking this way to a flight or walking this way back from a flight. I never once saw a pilot by himself. They just, that's the way you do it. You always, if you're a captain, you've got a co-pilot and it's your job to get the co-pilot ready to become a captain. That's just how it works. Why? Because the job's crucial. Guess what? So is ours. So is ours. Getting people prepared, ready to follow Jesus is huge. It's so crucial because here's what I've come to believe. Adding is great, but actually adding is God's job. Multiplying is what we were commanded to do. Right from the book of Genesis, God the first command, multiply and be fruitful. Not add, multiply. And I'm convinced, you read the Bible, and it says on that day when Peter preached that first uh, message in Acts chapter two, whoops, I'm landing, in Acts chapter 2, it said, and God added to their number. But you know what happened next? The people began to multiply. As God added, they were put under the wings of the people. They met in homes. They met. They had meals together. I believe there was this culture of discipling. Everyone who's new should be under the wing of someone until they're ready to take someone under their wing. The more we multiply, the more God will add. I don't think we'll ever run out of people to make disciples of if we are faithful in multiplying ourselves into them. That's what I've got faith for. And over and over we see God adding because the people were multiplying. So let me land just, uh, <laughs> how do we get started? 
Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, it says, One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples, and he chose 12 of them to be apostles, and here are their names. Three things. I want you to, I'm not trying to give you a formula today, because honestly, I believe taking someone under your wing is not going to be a program. It's not going to be a new church kind of step. No, no, because I think different people do it differently. I'm an engineer. I want a little bit more systematic. Some of you are more relational. We're going to hang. What I'm looking for is 52 cups of coffee with someone a year where I can walk them through, get them to ask some questions and input into their lives. The way you do it might be different. But here's some things Jesus did. Number one, he prayed first. And one of the reasons he prayed first is because our God is looking for a return on investment. Remember the, the different parables about uh, the ruler who went away and he gave five talents, three talents, one talent. When he came back, the, the, the ruler was looking for a return on his investment. Jesus wanted a return on his investment. He wanted to take people under his wing who would fly. And so before we just, hey, who, who, no, no, Father, would you show me who you want me to take under my wing? Holy Spirit, would you give me the name? Jesus prayed all night. I would encourage you, start today, start now. Holy Spirit, is there someone you want me to take under my wing? It might be someone already in church, someone who's just visited once or twice. They're kind of there, not here. Ask the Lord. Number two, he chose, not out of random. I mean, remember he went along the beach, Peter, John, come. And then it says, out of the disciples, he chose 12. In other words, he chose from people who were not random strangers. He chose from people who were already showing some interest in being Jesus followers. Those are the best people to make disciples of. Not a random stranger because they might not even be ready or interested in salvation. But there might be some people who's just visited the church, who've just given their lives to Jesus, who've just popped in once or twice. They're showing an interest already. Jesus chose them and he brought them under his wing. And then interestingly enough, he told them, this is what I'm going to do in your life. I'm going to make you apostles. In other words, I'm going to get you to do what I am doing. Now, you don't want to freak out a brand new disciple. like, do you want me to disciple you? And he doesn't even know what it means. But you can start the journey, but eventually you want to say, actually, you know what? This is not just a relational cup of coffee. I really would love to invest in you and share with you some of the experiences that I've had as a Jesus follower. And then they understand, this is friendship, but it's friendship on mission, with a purpose, because I want to invest into them. And that's how Jesus did it. And that was his strategy to transform the nations. Let me finish up like this. I'm having, a, I'm preparing for my midlife crisis. I'm taking this thing very seriously. I think you only get one shot at it, and I want to make it count. So I'm 49 right now. Turning 50 next year, so I've got Project 50, and I want to, like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to make this thing count. But here's the thing. Let's, I mean, I turn 50 next year. Let's say by God's grace, I live to be 80, 30 more years. Imagine, you see, I felt about a year and a half ago, this is the fruit of my wrestling with the Lord. I felt about a year and a half God asked me a question. Not audible voice, just something that settled in my heart. I felt God say, Brent, are you prepared to spend the rest of your life always discipling someone? Now, at first it was like, but Lord, I've got a whole church to look after. I can't focus on one. I've got to, no, no. God wants me to focus on one. 
One person at least a year. That's it. And I've been wrestling with that. Lord, am I prepared to truly? But here's the thing. Let's say I said, yes, Lord. I've got 30 years left till I turn 80. By God's grace, I want to be 120. But let's say I live to be. So let's say at 80, I die. 30 years time. But I've said yes to the Lord. And so for every year, for those 30 years, I took someone under my wing and I poured into their lives, not just a disciple, but a discipler for Jesus. How many people would come to my funeral? If only those people, only those who were affected by that decision, I made this one decision on this day in this hall and I said, yes, Lord, for the rest of my life, I'm always gonna have someone under my wing. How many people would come to my funeral? One billion people, not a million, one billion people would be affected by that decision. I mean, I've discipled 30 myself, but they've also discipled others who've discipled others who've discipled others. Now, of course, that's an idealistic, perfect model, but let's get the heart of what this is. This is God's strategy. If, 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 if. Let's say, let's go back to Mr. Google for a moment, and, and Mr. Google would say that there's about 2.8 billion Christians in the world. Ah, I don't think all of them are real Christians. So let's round it down to 2 billion, but that's way too many. So let's take 1%, so that'll be 20, that's too many. Let's take 0.1%, that's 2 million. 0.1%, one-tenth of 1% of Christians in the world, and they said, yes, Lord, I'm willing to take one person under my wing every year and pour into their lives. How long before Jesus comes back? 12 years. 12 years and over 8 billion people have been discipled. Now we've run out of stuff to do, so Jesus might as well come back. <laughs> okay, now obviously it's an idealized, but get the point. I honestly believe with all of my heart, this is God's strategy to disciple the nations. So I'm asking you this question today, church. Are you prepared to always have someone under your wing? Why don't you stand with me, please? If you don't mind closing your eyes just for a moment. Thank you, Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we get to be here today because Jesus, this is what you did. Because of the fruitfulness and effectiveness of those that you took under your wing, Jesus, we're here today. We get to fly because that's what you did. And Father, I want to ask right now that, that you would come and minister and speak into every one of our hearts. Not a have to, forced, anything like that. But rather what I pray, Holy Spirit, is that you would ask people individually the same question that you asked me. Would you be prepared to spend the rest of your life always discipling someone. Just one person a year, one person under my wing. Now, just while our eyes are closed, I'm not even gonna open my eyes, but you might not even understand fully what that would mean or look like. But if you're here this morning and you're willing to say, yes, Lord, I wanna live a significant life always discipling someone. Why don't you just lift up your hand? I'm not gonna call you to the front, but I wanna pray a specific prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, you see the response of our hearts this morning. Father, like Isaiah, we wanna say, here am I, use me, send me. 
We don't know what it means. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know how or if we could even do it. But Lord God, we want to say yes. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you, Jesus, you didn't even give us a real strategy or a how-to manual. You just said, I'm with you and I've got the authority. Father, I pray that you would put faith inside of our hearts, that you would put yes inside of us and we would just start. We want our lives to count. Thank you, Lord, when I look around at this church, and uh, church, I have to say, when I was just worshiping, and, uh, and I'm seeing old Ray here, and, uh, and, and I mean, I'm Sean, and, and, and some of you guys, some veterans, whew, what a privilege to be under those wings. What a privilege to be under some of these wings of people who've walked such a journey. Thank you, Lord. Some of you are here this morning, you might be saying, whoa, 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 I need to be under someone's wing. And you might be a newbie. You might have come to church for the first time. You might have just started this journey thinking, well, I don't even know how to do this whole Bible reading, living for Jesus. Let me tell you, you came on a great Sunday because there's a whole bunch of people here who would right now say, yes, I'm willing to take you under my wing. And I really pray that you would chat with one of the leaders, connect group leaders, one of the elders, and they will not just not do it, they will connect you with someone in the church who'll take you under their wing. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would empower us, fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would say, yes, Lord, in Jesus' name. And God's people say, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Thanks, bud. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it was a blessing to you. If you want to connect with us further, log on to our website, venturechurch.co.za or connect with us on our various social pages, Instagram and Facebook.